0: Sometimes we make easy things difficult, simple things difficult. Uh, Well, I can't speak for you, at least I make simple things difficult. Or we overlook the obvious. Okay, last week we were having problems with our furnace. Wasn't real cold here, cold enough you needed the furnace on. And it's only like a year and a half old but uh, it wouldn't get up to the temperature that we had it set at. It would, it would get close, and then it would quit. It would get close, and then it would quit. And it didn't go down real cold, just uh, three, four degrees under what we had it set at. So I had a guy here, and he was here for over four hours. And he, like, took everything apart. He went up in the attic, and he checked all of the, the vents, and they checked all of the ductwork, and you know everything had been brought up to 100 percent when they put this in a year and a half ago, and so he just could not find the problem, and so the next morning, uh, this guy came back along with the service manager, and this guy and the service manager they went up in the attic and they were looking around and all, and they came down. Well, the service manager took out one of the filters. Now the other guy had taken filters out, and you look at it, and it looks fine. Well, the service manager took it out, and he hit it against his hand. <clears throat> Excuse me, and all this white dust was flying everywhere. And he said, "That's a problem. He said, the filters are just plugged. It won't, you know, draw enough air back in." And the other guy felt kind of dumb. Um, because he hadn't figured that out. But the service manager asked me, you know, if we've had any uh, sheetrock work done, because he said that's what the dust looked like, and I said no. And the filters had only been, they say changing every three months. They'd been in like three months and five days or something like that. So he says, well, he says, I don't know where it's coming from, but maybe you need to change your filters a little more often. So, praise the Lord, we just had to pay one flat service fee uh, for four hours of work from one guy and another hour of work from two people, which I hate to think of what that would have cost. So, other parts of our life is the same way sometimes. We overlook the obvious. You know, we have somebody that we're friends with, somebody we work with, you know, and you know, we we don't see what they're going through. Uh, and then after something happens, you know, we look back and say, oh, yeah, I should have picked up on that because he did this or she said that or, you know, they were acting this way or that way. So sometimes we need to be looking out, uh, not just for ourselves, but for others around us because somebody may be reaching out to us and we're just not picking up on it. And that's what the Lord needs us to do. So let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks and praise for who you are. You are an awesome God that never changes. Uh, you're the same yesterday, today, and for an eternity. And we praise you for that. And your, your word is the same. You're, we need to look at your word and, and know that it's true. Uh, it wasn't just true hundreds of thousands of years ago, but it's true today. And so as we look at your word now, Father, help us to see what it is that you want us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're like me, sometimes when you read scripture, you might say, I, I don't remember that. You know, or, you know, that really, I don't know, that just doesn't sound quite right. Right. Now, I'm not questioning the writers, certainly not questioning God. It's more like, wow, I really don't understand why that happened or how that happened. The main scripture for this message is one of those times. We find it in Matthew 28. Okay, this is after the resurrection. And this is what we're told in Matthew 28, verses 16 and 17. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Those last three words, but some doubted. Same in the King James, the same in all the other translations I looked at. And so I look at that, but some doubted, and I've only got one thing to say. Are you kidding me? You know, how could you be doubting? Okay, we aren't talking about some of the many that we hear that followed him. We aren't talking about the women that helped him in his ministry. We aren't even talking about the Pharisees doubting or the Sadducees doubting. We know they did. But verse 16 specifically says, Then the eleven... Nobody else included, okay? Then the 11. Now, some Bible scholars think that there may have been others. I don't know where they get that from. I mean, it spells it out, you know, in English and Greek and whatever you want it to. It says, then the 11. Okay, the Greek here says 11. You can't add to it. You can't subtract from it. Uh, Did Matthew have a problem counting? You know, I mean, he'd been a tax collector. You know, I think he could do the math and, you know, knew who was there. And it says, some doubted. So there was more than one that were doubters. Well, I bet one of them was Thomas. You know, he doubted before, so I bet Thomas was one of them. Uh, But wait, I think John cleared that up. In John 20, verses 19 to 23, Jesus had appeared to the disciples in a room with the doors locked. Then John goes on in verses 24 to 29. He says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. Well, I think we can rule Thomas out as one of the doubters after that exchange that he had with Jesus. Now, it probably wasn't John, okay, because he was the writer of that passage. And, you know, he wouldn't point that out. And, John, he was at the cross when Jesus was crucified. He was given charge of Mary, Jesus' mother, and he was the one that outran Peter to the tomb. Most of all, John describes himself as the one Jesus loved. How could he be a doubter? And Peter, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't see Peter as a doubter. He was too close to Jesus. I mean, he walked on the water to Jesus. And Jesus had rebuked him for being a doubter. Uh, Probably not James. You know, he was in Jesus' inner circle as well. Well, I've come to the conclusion conclusion that we're never going to know unless we find out in heaven. And maybe it was just supposed to be a mystery for us or he didn't want to rat out some of his friends. So what happened when they saw Jesus this time? Well, it says when they saw him, they worshipped him. Now, if there were multiple doubters in the group, did they just kind of go through the motions? They didn't want to stand out, so they pretended to worship Jesus? Now, I've seen churchgoers that, fit into that category they sing the songs you know they they bow their head and close their eyes during prayer they come up and they they take communion and i know this happens in little churches because those are the churches that i served but i know it happens in big churches too okay that their hearts really not in it and there's one reason for that. It's because Jesus is not in their heart. Now, it may be that some doubters were not really doubters, but they were just kind of overwhelmed. This is how Matthew, or excuse me, how the message puts Matthew's verse twenty-eight seventeen. He says that this, The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Hmm, okay, I've seen those churchgoers too. They're listening, and maybe they they want to believe, and they have questions that they're not getting answered while they're sitting Sunday morning in church, and they need you and I to tell them what it is that they need to hear. So when I read Matthew 28 verses 16 and 17, I have to say, are you kidding me? Look at some of the other reasons why they should not have been doubting. Mark chapter 6. Jesus has just left his hometown where they weren't going to believe in him because they knew who he was or thought they knew who he was. Well, in Mark 6, beginning in verse 7, it tells us this. Jesus did something that we should be doing. It says, Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out, two by two, and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except the staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed sick people with oil and healed them. Just an interesting side point there. It says that they anointed sick people with oil. Uh, Jesus, to my knowledge, never anointed anybody with oil, but they did. So, But the main point is that these 12, that they went out and they preached the good news. It doesn't tell us that people repented. It says that they preached that people should repent. Okay, and they drove out demons and they healed the sick. They did just what Jesus was doing and they were successful at it. And some of these 12 were doubters. Some of those 12 men doubted Jesus Christ after what they had done. Did they forget about that when they were on the Mount in Galilee with Jesus? Are you kidding me in Matthew seventeen Peter was questioned by the tax collectors about Jesus and taxes. This is what it says in matthew seventeen twenty five to twenty seven Yes, he does, he replied. when Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? he asked from whom do the kings of the earth? Collect a duty and taxes from their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt. Jesus said to him, But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them or my tax and yours now we don't know anything more about this okay but we certainly assume that it happened just like that and if it came to pass as Jesus said without a doubt Peter told the others now there may have been others in the room when Jesus told Peter that it just says that there was Peter and that Jesus spoke first, but there may have been others in there. But I'm assuming that he probably told him over and over and over again for many days, weeks, he was telling him about it. You know, one thing I know, I certainly would have if it happened to me. So after hearing about this and, you know, Peter maybe came back with that coin and showed him, yo, look, look what I got out of the fish's mouth. But after this, some doubting. Are you kidding me? How about what we read in John 21? Okay, this is after the resurrection. Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, and John, and two other disciples go fishing. They fish all night. And they catch nothing, okay? They catch zero fish. Well, Jesus is there on the shore. And so in John 21, verses 5 to 7, this is what we hear. He, meaning Jesus, he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And sure enough, it was. Seven disciples were there to witness another miracle of Jesus. They went from catching zero fish to catching 153 fish. Now, I'm sure that that number has some significance to it, but I don't know what it is and all of these other Bible scholars don't know what it is. A friend of mine said, well, maybe that was one of each kind of fish that there was you know, there to be caught. But it says that they caught all these fish, and the net wasn't torn. So seven of the 11 disciples, was one or more of those seven a doubter? I'd certainly hope not. After seeing this, how could you doubt? Are you kidding me? Mark 9, we find this account. A father was in need for his son. Okay, Mark 9, beginning in verse 17. A man in the crowd answered Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Well, so this scene continues, and then starting in verse 25, it says, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, I command you. Come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, He's dead! But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, This kind can come out only by prayer. Now, in Mark 6.13, we're told that the twelve had gone out and they had been driving out demons. So what was different about this particular demon? I don't know. But they knew, the one greater than themselves, that could do something about it. So seeing that that they had driven out demons before and right now they couldn't do it how could any of them doubt when they saw jesus drive out that demon are you kidding me seeing in mark chapter 9 after jesus had healed a demon possessed boy then he was telling the disciples again about his upcoming death and again they didn't understand what he was trying to get across to them. Okay, beginning in Mark 9, They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. And the servant of all. Jesus wasn't speaking to the crowd. Jesus was speaking to the 12. Okay, they're arguing about who is the greatest. Well, the greatest what? And, you know, why were they so concerned about that? Well, apparently this lesson wasn't enough for James and John because they went and got their mommy okay in matthew chapter 20 verses 20 and 21 says then the mother of zebedee's sons came to jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him what is it you want he asked she said grant one of these two sons of mine to sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom james and john were there so it's not like they didn't know what mom was up to, okay? Doesn't sound like they tried to stop her. Well, then in verse 24, it says this, When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Now, the Greek word there for indignant means much displeased or moved with indignation. I like the way the message puts verse 24. It says, When the ten others heard about this, they lost their tempers, thoroughly disgusted with the two brothers. Somehow, that sounds a little more like what happened. Okay? It's like, oh, you had to go get your mommy, did you? You know, I guess Jesus doesn't think you're as great as your mommy does. Why would she ask, or why would they ask, Jesus about sitting at his right and his left, if they didn't believe that he was who he said he was. Apparently, that really hit a nerve with the other ten. They don't sound like doubters, but are you kidding me? There's one that had been a doubter, but he wasn't on the mount in Matthew 28. Judas, Judas Iscariot, he doubted so much that he accepted 30 silver coins, probably about $600 today. Okay, $600 to betray someone that you had been with for three years, had seen the miracles, seen the dead being raised, the sick being healed, the lame able to run and jump, people getting their their voice back, you know, so many things that they had seen, and Judas was right there with him, and he took 600 bucks to turn Jesus over. But then, after he saw what was going to happen to Jesus, because apparently he just thought they were going to arrest Jesus, put him in jail for a while, and tell him, you know, okay, okay just don't do this anymore, you know, get out of here. But when Judas saw what happened, he no longer doubted. Now he knew what he had done, and he knew who Jesus was, so he went out and hung himself. Now if Judas hadn't hung himself and had gone back to Jesus and asked for forgiveness, he would have been number 12 that day in Matthew 28. He wouldn't have been one of the doubters. Not anymore. Well, you know, there may be times when we have our doubts about some things in Scripture you know, we read something that seems to kind of contradict. And Pastor Craig's message yesterday was talking about, you know, God doesn't change his mind. I don't remember the scriptures now, but he gave one that said, you know, God never changes his mind. Well, then there was another one, I believe in Exodus, where uh, God was ready to wipe out all of the Jews And Moses went to him and said, you know, oh, don't do that. You know, give him another chance. And so Jesus changes his mind. So sometimes we may wonder, we may doubt. But, you know, if we search the scriptures long enough, the doubts are going to be gone. And we will be assured of what it is that we read. Because God's word is the truth that we need in our lives. And then we'll no longer be doubters. We'll no longer be kidding anybody. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks and praise that you are the God you are. You're the loving God that loves us more than we can even begin to imagine because you loved us enough to send your son to die for us. And we know that. We know that Your son is the only way that we're going to get into heaven and spend eternity with you. So Father, help us to put aside any doubts that we may have. And Lord, I lift up anyone that is maybe listening that doesn't know you, doesn't have a relationship with you. And maybe they've read the Bible, maybe they've gone to church, maybe they've studied the Bible, maybe they've you know, been in a group maybe they have uh, been brought up in a Christian home but they've never made that commitment for themselves Lord let them no longer doubt let them know that your word is true and that you want them more than anything to begin that relationship with your son Jesus Christ and let them know that they need to, to pray like this Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. You sent your Son, Jesus, to be that Savior for me. Forgive me of my sins. Accept me like I am and love me for who I am. Lord, help me to love you in the ways I need and help me to be the person that you need me to be. In Jesus' name. Amen.